Hey there, welcome to Takeaway with Sam Okus, a podcast from Nation's Restaurant News. I am Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief here at NRN, and this is the show where I give you an all-access pass to the restaurant industry's most influential decision makers. This week, I'm talking with Mike Cunningham. Mike is the founder and CEO of Cunningham Restaurant Group. This group is based in Indianapolis, and it has 42 locations across Indiana, Ohio, and Kentucky, making it one of the top 10 biggest independent restaurant groups in the country. Uh, Mike started Cunningham back in 1997 and has been slowly growing it into a powerhouse ever since. Today, Cunningham Restaurant Group has 18 concepts in its portfolio, including the 15-unit brew burger bar. And Mike joined the podcast to talk about how his knack for creativity drove him to scaling across so many different concepts and how he's designing an infrastructure that ensures consistency across the group. In this conversation, you will learn more about why your attitude toward airplanes may determine your growth strategy, why the joy of discovery shouldn't be underestimated in your marketing efforts, and why your growth strategy should allow for some flexibility for unique opportunities. Jumping now into my interview with Cunningham Restaurant Group CEO and founder, Mike Cunningham. Also, don't forget to stick around after the interview as I will share my six takeaways from this discussion, actionable insights that you can take with you on the go. Okay, sitting here with Mike Cunningham, the founder and CEO of Cunningham Restaurant Group based in Indianapolis. Mike, thanks for joining the podcast today. Sam, glad to be here. So we're going to talk all about Cunningham, uh, and as I just said right before we hit record, it's like people just don't, a lot of people on the coast just don't know about Cunningham because you're in Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, um, really rooted here in the Midwest. I am familiar because I am in Columbus, and so I know your concepts and very excited to chat with you. But for, for those who have not visited uh, Ohio and Indiana and gotten to know some of the Cunningham concepts, can you tell us a little bit about this group? Yeah, we... we um... Opened our first restaurant in 1997. Um, it was in a bedroom community of Brownsburg, Indiana, which is uh, west sub, uh, suburb of Indianapolis. And uh, we continued to um, want to build new and different things. I was a big fan of Richard Melman and what he was doing in Chicago uh, early on. And that sort of inspired me to follow that that roadmap of kind of doing creative new things. So uh, in 97, we opened Boulder Creek. In 2000, we opened uh, an Italian, American Italian concept called Gerbanos. Uh And then we just kept rolling from there um, and really picked up steam in the, you know, two, 2010, 11 time span. We were coming out of that 08 crunch and we gained some momentum coming out of that and kind of uh, blew it up a little bit from 2012 to 22, I would say, and still kind of going. You mentioned uh, uh, Melman, of course, how to let us entertain you and what he's been able to accomplish. Uh, what's your history? Were you a chef, operator? Or what got you into starting this group in the first place? Um, I was a restaurant guy from an early age. I had a, um, I had seven brothers and a sisters, a sister. I'm sorry, and we we uh, all started working in a restaurant, a, a Skyline Chili Parlor. For those folks from the Cincinnati area, will be very familiar with Skyline, but. Um, we had we happened to have one of those uh, actually it was the the second one ever was at the bottom of our uh, street where we lived as kids and um, I was literally washing dishes there when I was eight years old um, 
because I had older brothers that said, you know, my kid brother will come in and help. So I would bust tables and wash dishes and, um, and just really loved the business and stayed with it through, uh, high school and college and, um, was mostly a back of the house guy. So I was running kitchens, uh, never a trained chef, never went to culinary school, but knew the business from the back, back of the house mostly. Um, and then went into a management position at 21 years old, um, with a company called the ground round. So some of your older listeners might be familiar with ground round, which was a East coast concept, um, owned by Howard Johnson's back in the day. And, um, so I worked with them in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is where my wife and I were from. And, uh, they asked me to move up to Indianapolis, um, in 85. And so I made that move, um, and worked for them a short time up in the Indianapolis market before I started doing some stuff on my own. So. And when you opened your first restaurant, I mean, was that a, I want a restaurant and let's see how this goes? Or did you have a vision for building out something? I mean, certainly Cunningham has become such a huge group by now. Could you ever envision that back then? Not really, but I, I did, um, I did have like a 10 year run from the time I was 23 years old to the time I was 33 that I opened up, uh, five frozen yogurt and sandwich shops. So I kind of was cutting my teeth as an owner operator on smaller units, uh, where the, uh, mistakes that you made weren't, uh, devastating and super costly, uh, where they can be in a larger scale, uh, restaurant format. Um, so I did that for 10 years, um, and, um, had some success with that. And that kind of allowed me to, um, kind of start what CRG later became. And, um, and to answer your question, there was no, uh, no real plan to, to grow it into what it is today. Um, it was just a step-by-step, step. you know, we had success with our first restaurant, which led us the opportunity to open a second restaurant and a third and a fourth. And, and, um, I kind of juggled that, uh, myself pretty much until we got to about six or seven locations. And that's when I was able to start finding some good quality help to kind of <laughs> prop me up because it was a, a tough go there early on, uh, where you weren't sure things were going to be, um, around much longer, you know, that kind of thing went on the early days. But, um, I got really fortunate and found some really quality, uh, guys and gals that could step in and kind of do kind of cover my, um, the areas that I was, I was not really strong at. Um, and, um, and I was smart enough to relinquish that kind of stuff to kind of keep moving forward and, and, you know, trying to come up with a vision of what I want this company to be. Um, and, um, shed the things that I wouldn't, I wasn't very strong at. So, um, that was, a, a turning point for me was to get some help and uh, let people do their thing that when, when they showed me that they were really good at it. So, so I love talk, yeah. chatting with restaurant group, uh, owners such as yourself, because, you know, people don't really think about, you know, uh, they, they see a chain restaurant, something with multiple locations and, you know, it's a chain, but they, they don't think about the Cunninghams. Of course, uh, here in Columbus, we have Cameron Mitchell. Of course, we've mentioned Let Us Entertain You. They don't always understand that a group like yours, you have, is it 38 locations now? Is that what you're at? I think we're at 42 now. 42 yeah. now. So you have 42 restaurants. But for all, in purposes, for all intents and purposes, you operate as a chain, but it's spread across 18 concepts. And I, and I always just find that fascinating because it's you're sort of flying under the radar because none of your concepts are huge. But you're operating this really significant organization with 42 locations across 18 concepts. And if I guess if I put that into a question form, at, at what point did you decide, I want multiple concepts. I don't want to just focus on this one concept, your first concept. I don't want to just make that a chain and call it a day. I want a portfolio of concepts. 
Well, it was early on, um, and it's, it was the second restaurant we did was not going to be um, a replay of what Boulder Creek was. Um, and Boulder Creek was very successful from day one. We were um, we had a, a little bit of a rough opening because we were a little green behind the ears, uh, but we the community supported us and we supported them. Um, and that was always the plan. And uh, so we were we were very successful um, in that restaurant. And so my playbook at that time, again, very much inspired by what Richard was doing up in Chicago was what I wanted to do creative and new things. So, um, you know, it would have been real easy to, to take uh, the Boulder Creek concept and move it to the south side of Indianapolis or the north side or whatever and just kind of roll with that. Um, but uh, so I would to answer your question early on. It was definitely part of uh, what I wanted to accomplish was to do creative things and new things. And we're, we're still, it's part of our DNA today. We're, we're constantly doing new concepts and including opening one just last Monday. So we're uh, a, a family Italian concept called Theo's Italian. Um, so we um, it's uh, I think it's fun for our, our folks that work with us um, to uh, look forward to what's next. And, and, um, and, you know, we, with Brew Burger Bar, we have 15 of those locations. So we, are kind of taking that avenue new as well as when you find a good model and, and something that's successful kind of duplicate. Um, so we're kind of doing it from both ends now, um, but definitely part of our brand. And I think what brings interest to our customer base is the creativity and the new things that we do. Yeah. I, th- I find that interesting too. Cause it's, I mean, entrepreneurs, creatives, the restaurant industry, if you start a restaurant, you're a creative, you are an entrepreneur. Um, and, but some people almost can't help, but, create. And so again, you could invest in one concept and scale that thing, but then you become a, a business person, you become an executive, but what you're doing, you're, you're maintaining that creative spirit. And I, and I appreciate that, but, um, there must be other advantages to developing new concepts too, right? I mean, how do you see, what do you see as being some of those other advantages? Cause you could keep creating and you could strike on another brew burger bar idea at some point, right? Are you, are you continuing to look for like the next big thing, what's the filter you, you place on yourself when you decide to create a new concept? Um, it could be, again, if I think it comes from both avenues. We, we, um, we recently, about two years ago, we opened a, a, an Asian inf- uh, inspired concept called Modita. Um, and we, we felt there was a hole in the market in Indianapolis for that product. Um, so it was never built to be, we're going to duplicate this. Now, if it works out that it makes sense to do that down the road, but it's very chef driven, um, uh, fairly complicated, which lends itself to maybe being a one off, you know, because um, uh, it's hard to roll out and duplicate when things are complicated. But um, um, so we, we work OK with that. You know, we, we wanted to fill that that niche in the market that was missing um, and uh, or uh, would, would compare uh, Theo's Italian, which is fresh handmade pasta, uh, uh, pizza style pizzas, uh, salad sandwiches. Uh, uh, I don't think we have, I think we have one item over 20 bucks on the menu. So it's very approachable. Um, we built that thing thinking we could duplicate this. Um, so it can, it can happen both ways. Um, and, uh, we have several concepts that we really feel like are, are standalone, uh, Vita, which is our highest end restaurant concept here in Indianapolis is certainly a standalone restaurant. We don't ever see doing that again. But we certainly um, are always have in mind what we're doing, if, if it fits the marketplace where we're building it, and then does it have uh, legs to, to duplicate. And uh, we have we have a, a Latin concept called livery, which we have three locations, um, and that's performing well. 
um, that could have legs. Again, we, we're, we're always very careful. We're not going to go crazy and drop 10 of those in the next year. You know, we've never been, uh, uh, we've never taken that aggressive approach on anything. Um, but, um, yeah, so we can, it, it can go either way for us. I'm always interested uh, when I talk with folks like you about like, um, you know, scaling the concepts and, and what goes into that decision. So for example, a thought experiment, I've done this with a few other, uh, other folks, which is let's just say an A plus real estate location just ends up at your doorstep, falls into your lap, this perfect spot, Indianapolis, let's say, um, what goes in there? How do you decide, oh, Brew goes there, Vita goes there, Theos goes there? Because you could put any of your concepts there. How, how do you make that decision as to how to scale these things, I guess, individually? Yeah, I mean, sometimes, it, you know, we certainly, like everybody else, we, we look at the demographics of the area. We look at, you know, household incomes um, and uh, what fits the marketplace, what's already in the marketplace, Um um, and that helps us to determine we, we have a lease signed that we'll do something in 25 in Westfield, which is a booming suburban area in Indianapolis. A lot of homes, new rooftops being built. We're sort of going through that exercise right now is what what should we do up there? What are we doing currently that fits and does it make sense to do a second Union 50 or a, a third mesh? Um, and we're sort of going through that exercise now as to what what's best to put up there. Um, but we, we uh, like everybody else, you just got to kind of study the market and get a sense of what the demand is there and, and try to fill that demand. Uh, to that end, I know Indianapolis, uh, much like Columbus, um, the, are, they are the two fastest growing cities in the country, in the Midwest, sorry, but two of the fastest growing cities in the country, I believe. Um, I, I love Indianapolis. I've been there a number of times. My sister used to live there. And so a lot of opportunity. But how, how would you define Indianapolis? as a food city why has this why has cunningham really taken root in indianapolis in particular well i i think it's a funny story when we built boulder creek in 1997 uh, i remember a guest coming in and asking me where are you guys from they and that question was related to they thought we were a chain restaurant mm -hmm. and i remember feeling um honored that they said that you know it was like that was a compliment back then um and I think what we were fortunate and, I, and, I, and luck more than anything, we rode this wave of a market changing um, because back in 97, Indianapolis was very much a chain market. You know, Olive Garden was king. Don Pablo's was new to the market and they were on fire. Um, a lot of these Fridays was was super popular. Um, and that's what really the market, the, the market was ruled and dominated by chains. And we were this uh, independent guy and we were trying to mimic the chains because we knew that was what was working in the marketplace. Um, and we sort of rode, rode the wave of that change. And I think now um, diners are much more sophisticated and they're searching out for companies like ours and concepts like ours. Um, and they're kind of over the O'Charlies of the world and the Applebee's of the world. And I don't mean any disrespect to anybody, but that's just, we, we see that in the marketplace, right? The, those, those restaurants are starting to close. And, and struggle in areas um, and uh, companies like ours are, are what people are seeking out uh, with fresh ideas and new concepts and, and an independent uh, sense of, of, of ownership instead of a, a 500 unit chain restaurant. Um, and we just were lucky to kind of ride that wave that really picked up steam, I think, in the, um, in the 2000, early 2000s. And, and to this day, it's still where, what people are looking for. 
So again, looking at very, your growth. Very fortunate to ride that, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and again, looking at your growth, um, you know, again, Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, really primarily where you're, you're seeing that growth. Um, is there strategy to that? Have you decided we're going to own this little corner? Um, this is going to be kind of where we take root. Do you look beyond those three states? How do you approach sort of geographic growth? Well, it was uh, a lot of it was designed by being able to reach the restaurants and keep tabs on them and, um, and not try and get on airplanes. Uh, so everything we have, I think our longest drive time from headquarters in Indianapolis is about three hours. Uh, I think Lexington would be the furthest one. And um, so that was by design. I have looked in other markets. Um, I've looked, you know, Nashville. I was nosing around there a few years ago. Um, we've looked at Charlotte. We've looked up into Michigan. Um, but we've always kind of uh, pulled back on that just because there's so much opportunity um, for here for us in Midwest where we and especially in the Indy, Indianapolis, central Indiana market where we're really well known. I mean, you mentioned Cameron Mitchell's. Um, I mean, Cameron 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 has restaurants nationally, but Columbus is is his hometown. He and owns it. When they, he's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, when they do something fresh, fresh and new in Columbus, everybody's on board with. We got to go there and check that out. Yeah, uh, we sit, have a similar kind of following here in Indianapolis, so it's it's just a less less risk, safer kind of bet to, to continue to to grow in areas. And there's lots of areas we're not in. It's Indianapolis. You know, I mentioned Westfield that's growing, and we're not there. So. Um, We'll continue to take those opportunities. We just opened a couple of new restaurants in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, we have uh, five locations in that marketplace right now. Um, that was my home hometown when I, where I grew up and my, my wife grew up there as well. So uh, we, we can see expanding some things down there as well. Um, and then we've reached into, you know, Evansville, Indiana, uh, Lafayette, um, uh, South Bend, uh, Fort Wayne. So we, we, once we, we, went, we took a brew down to Evansville about seven years ago, and that was a first step for us to kind of go into a, a secondary city market, a uh, smaller city market, I should say secondary, in the Indiana, um, uh, state of Indiana. And um, we, we were just shocked about how many people knew about us from Indianapolis. Like, oh, my God, I'm so glad you're here. We go to your Indianapolis restaurants all the time. And as we went into Lafayette and Fort Wayne and South Bend, it was the same thing. People were like, we're so happy you're here because they were familiar with visiting Indianapolis. Um, for some of your listeners may not know, it's central to, to the state and people all over the state um, visit Indianapolis. It's the only city in the state of that size, uh, unlike Ohio, where you have Cleveland and Columbus and Cincinnati are all of similar size. So uh, we found that there was a really a real opportunity for us to get into some of those uh, smaller towns uh, and cities in, in Indiana and, and flourish. So. Um, that was, that's been part of the strategy as well. Sure. Yeah. And, and no disrespect to, you know, like Chicago, LA, New York, but I mean, don't you feel like the impact in the community is so much more significant for when, when you have Indianapolis, I mean, takes great, um, you know, very proud of a Cunningham restaurant group. And as you mentioned, like Evansville and people like it, it means something a little bit more, I think, than some restaurant groups in some of the major cities where there are so many options so many chefs, so many restaurants, what kind of community impact have you seen? And, and, and what do you hope to see? How do you hope to make an impact by focusing on some of these towns that don't get those kinds of restaurants that you're putting in them? Um, it, you know, it, it's just refreshing to have somebody um, thank you for 
for bringing a restaurant. I mean, we, we, we should be thanking them for supporting us. Right. But, um, uh, I think a lot of people understand what, um, restaurants can do for a community. It's a gathering place. It's a meeting place for the, those folks in those communities. Um, and, um, um, we've, you know, uh, our first restaurant was open, uh, open in, in Brownsburg and that was, um, a bedroom community. So for, for me, it was always about putting restaurants in communities where we had a regular customer base that could support us. And then we could embed ourselves in that community, whether it was the school system or uh, the chamber, local chamber or whatever, um, and then start supporting that community any way we could. Uh, and in return, we would be embraced by that community. So I just said community about seven times in that, in that <laughs> sentence, but it, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it was always part of the formula to, um, uh, you know, the lifeline for any restaurant is a, as a regular customer base, um, that can support them. Yeah. So, um, and you then have, you have stability. You don't have the roller coaster up and down of, um, I'm, I'm a convention driven bit restaurant or I'm a, a tourist, um, driven. Uh, we, we've always shot away from those kind of locations because we don't want to ride that roller coaster. We want, we want the, the steady, um, and then connect, connect with that community. Sure. Uh, so, so related to all this, um, I want to tell you about my first experience at Brew Burger Bar. Um, as I told you before we hit record, I got one about seven minutes from my house. And about a year ago when we first moved here, I discovered it online. I'm like, I got to check this place out. I ordered takeout and drove over there, picked it up. Great experience all around, so commend you on that. But I, the bag said Cunningham Restaurant Group. It didn't say Brew Burger Bar. And I was like, huh. Who's this? And because again, I was new to town, and so that was my first introduction to Cunningham. Um, but but it's pertinent to our conversation because you know Cunningham—that's a brand across all of the group, all of the concepts in your portfolio. And, and some people might choose no, 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 each concept standalone. But you do tie these all together under the Cunningham umbrella, and it seems like an intentional way. Can you tell me about that? I mean, do you want the brew customer like I was to then go, Hey, I wonder what else Cunningham has. Like, how do you leverage that strategically? Well, that's, that's certainly what we want. Um, and we, we brought the Cunningham name to wrap things up. I think we were at maybe 10 locations and maybe at the time three or four concepts. And, um, um, we started to think in terms of how do we communicate that? Um, how do we tie it all together? And we wanted to do it organically. We didn't want to, when we, when we started, um, using the term Cunningham restaurant group. Um, we didn't have an ad campaign around that. Um, we started the brand, like you said, some, some, uh, some branding was put into, into our, our packaging and, um, also on ads back then, whatever the ad might be, whether it's in a, a, a publication or something like that. Um, but we wanted people to have that aha, aha moment. Like you, you had, like, what is this? And then I, we wanted them to stumble upon a restaurant and go, oh, I didn't know this was part of Cunningham. And, and I think it resonates with people far better than pushing that information out in an ad campaign or something of that nature. So um, it was just kind of a fun way to say we're going to tie this up so people understand it's all. Um, and then we started a, a loyalty program about 11 years ago. And that really solidified this idea that Cunningham was this network of restaurants um, where you, I could get these points, um, loyalty points in any, any one of these restaurants. And, um, people started to like buy in that we're going to check them all out and we're going to, 
we're going to garner our, our point per dollar spent. And we have a real simple loyalty program where you simply get a thousand points, which is a thousand dollars spent. And we'll hand, hand you a hundred dollar gift card on the spot when you're in, in the restaurant dining. Um, and it's basically a 10% give back, kick back on everything you spend in our restaurant. Um, thanking you for being a loyal supporter of our, our what we do. So, um, you know, a lot of companies have loyalty programs. Some of them are complicated. Uh, we chose to do something really simple, um, and people um, love it. They wanna they wanna track what, where they're at. We have an app now where you can see where you're at on your points, and and it might even drive a decision. You know, we we're we're sixty points away from our gift card. Why why aren't we going to um, you know one of our concepts tonight to, to get our gift card? Uh, or dinner's going to be on them tonight's kind of thing. So it's, uh, um, but that, that really helped tie the, the Cunningham brand. Um, and, and then as we do all the different things that we do um, with uh, community-based promotions and supporting different community uh, organizations, we do it under that name and people can, can go to the Cunningham CRG dining website and they can see all the different concepts. So there was, there was definitely a, a uh, strategy behind doing that. But again, it was to your point, it was all to, all to wrap everything up. So people would understand that. Um, and now oftentimes somebody, I had somebody the other day ask me, there's a Hyde Park steakhouse here in Indianapolis and mm-hmm. lady, yeah, that's one of yours. Right. And I'm like, no, that's not one of ours. So <laughs> it kind it's of compliment. I guess. Well, you know, yeah, exactly. Uh, I was going to commend you. I mean, for starters, having a loyalty program 11 years ago, like loyalty right now is blowing up. And of course, it's the concept of loyalty has been around forever. But to have had one 11 years ago for a restaurant group such as Cunningham, I mean, that's that's impressive. And you mentioned the app. So how do you how do you get diners to sign up for it? Because if somebody comes into Vita and is not familiar with Cunningham Restaurant Group or the app, do you encourage your servers to get them onto it? Yes, um, we actually track it as well. So we know, um, you know, it's, it's very simple. The server has to ask the guest, are you a member of the CRG loyalty program? Because we want to make sure you get your points. And um, nowadays, probably 70% of the time, somebody's like, oh, yes, I am. Here's my phone number. We can give you points based on your phone number. You don't have to carry a card. Um, but um, if they're not, then it's, it's a simple explanation that do you want, you know, if you'd like 10% back on everything you spend here, all you do is have to, you can sign up online or you can, the server can take your information on the spot and get you signed up. And then all you have to do is to say, Hey, I, I'm, this is my, and we need your phone number to look you up. We'd love to have your email, but we don't mandate it. Um, so we can market to you for anniversaries and birthdays and things like that. Of course, we never sell that database to anyone, but um, that would be a mistake on our part. But, uh, um, and so it's just, uh, uh, it's a, it's a simple conversation with a server table side. Gotcha. Uh, so related to that, though, uh, thinking of like a loyalty program crosses over all brands, what are other advantages or other systems across all of the concepts that give you a leg up? Because I know there's with a lot of groups, you you have that shared service model that can really find some efficiencies across your concepts. I'm wondering what that looks like for CRG. How, what, what kinds of ways do you leverage this portfolio of concepts and their ability to, to share services and share products and tools to the benefit of each individual concept. Um, it's interesting. We have a brew burger bar, which is our, probably our lowest price point. Uh, the steps of service, for example, at brew is going to be far different than the steps of service at Vita. Um, but a lot of everything uh, else is very similar. Um, we, our core values are the same. 
um, our, our, our methods about how we go about training those steps of service are the same. Our, our culture is the same. Um, so um, there, there are a lot of things that are common. Um, and, you know, our executive team that runs this company, uh, we, we, you know, it's the same uh, uh, contact. Um, so uh, we, it just, it's just a different playbook. Um, and, and maybe half of what we do is changes based on concept, but the other half is consistent. Um, so when we talk to people about how we're going to treat our team members and how we're going to um, uh, make people feel when they come in the restaurant, that's all pretty consistent, right? You, we, we want, we, our hope would be somebody would feel as great at brew as they would at Vita, but it's just a different environment um, where one's a high end course uh, dinner experience. And the other ones I'm grabbing a burger and some fries and watching a ball game and get a beer. Yeah. But that, that service level is going to be, the steps are going to be different, but the service is going to be kind. It's going to be polite. It's going to be, there's a connection point. There's going to be all those things that we want to teach our folks to do to make somebody feel great. Um, and when they leave, say that was a great experience. I want to come back. And that's a challenge. It, it's never, never perfect. Um, I shouldn't say it's never perfect. We do have perfect experiences sometimes, but it's always work and always a challenge for us to get our teams to understand the value of that. Um, and that's every restaurant tour, every, every restaurant manager understands those challenges and that's what they wake up every day to do. So, um, yeah. All right. So, so brew again, uh, being your biggest concept with 15 locations, um, obviously a much different ball game than your one-off locations. Um, what are you learning with brew? Because that is your significant chain in your portfolio. Um, interesting question. I, uh, I, first thing that comes to mind is when you, when you have a, a, uh, a like concept that you can, um, kind of set a standard for, um, and kind of, um, judge performance off of that standard. Uh, if you have the same concept where you're paying the same thing for the same product, charging the same thing, um, your, your rent structure or utilities might be a, a little bit different, but, um, there's some uh, scales of, of, uh, of everything on a P&L, for example, that you would, you would be able to, to really kind of uh, match up and say, if, if this location can perform at this level, you know, maybe um, set a standard for, for everybody else. So that's, that's a real advantage where one-offs, you don't quite have that much information uh, of 15 P&Ls to look at and say, or how, how consistent are we are with this? And, um, having brews been in existence for 11 years now. Um, and if you look at a brew PNL, they're very consistent. Um, so that means I think we're doing our job. So that, that's probably the big win. Um, but other than that, it's, it, again, it's, it's the playbooks very similar. So I'm not sure we're picking up a whole lot other than we're, we can compare things with a lot and a lot more detail with the data. So, and, and going back to around to the idea of growth, um, does your, does your growth, trajectory for brew, it, it must inevitably be different than how you approach growth with any other concept, because I'm sure people have called you asking to franchise it. I'm sure people are asking for it in California and in New York. I mean, you, when you get to 15 locations, you, you start knocking on the door of a lot of opportunities. So so for brew in particular, how, how does that change maybe your notion of growth? And, and what do you learn about growth through brew? Um, you know, um, we have a 16th location under construction. Um, 
we uh, are sort of in the same playbook we've always been is we're going to, the, the brew fits. Um, there are a lot more opportunities for that concept because it appeals to a large uh, uh, audience. Um, so uh, we, we are sort of uh, over the strip center kind of location, you know, although we have some of those. So we're now we're, it's more um, trying to find the more unique locations. Um, I mean, the one at Evansville is in, a, in an old restored Greyhound bus terminal building. Um, so we're, we're, um, we're pretty selective. So we're not, I'm not, again, I'm not in a mode, nor do I, do I want to be really to, we're going to drop 30 of these in the next three years, you know, um, um, just have never really been interested in, in that sort of growth. Um, I've seen other companies do it. Um, and, you know, you just wonder, uh, you know, we mentioned some of the chains back in the day where they grew rapidly and all of a sudden things change a little bit, right? They can't, maybe they can't make that fresh um, salsa anymore or whatever. Um, so we're, we're, we're just slowly um, methodically growing that business. Um, and uh, it just so happens that because the, the model's good and the, and the, the appeal is, is vast that we, we tend to find more opportunities for brew and we'll continue to do that. So I, you know, I see us doing one or two brews every year. Maybe we, maybe we excel that a little bit um, down the road, but um, that's sort of the plan. Um, we're never been overly excited about own, owning a chain of anything to tell you the truth. Um, and kind of, uh, but brew has just evolved because it's been successful and um, um, we'll continue to do what we do. So well, to that end, um, when you think about, growing this company, you know, thinking of one to two brews per year, you know, a lot of, again, multi-unit concepts, they, they think in these terms of, you know, how many do we want to open per year? How do we, you know, how many leases we have, uh, how many are under development, things like that. Uh, but going back to your comment too, about creativity and developing new concepts, you know, the creative uh, isn't bound by this idea of I'm going to do this this year. It has, it's a little bit more of a, ah, things will come as they come. Right. So how do you balance yeah. that? How do you balance that sort of spirit of creativity and concept development, but also being like, we, we need to expand our portfolio by X amount every year. And, and cause that would be the responsible businessman, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a um, funny question. Cause we, we have these uh, tug of wars a little bit within our um, team here of, trying to be more structured about our growth and trying to be more strategic about how much we're going to grow and where we're going to grow. Um, but I've always been an opportunity driven decision maker. Um, I mean, we're, we're um, in the process of doing a project in uh, West Lafayette at Purdue university um, where we, uh, this is a very unique opportunity where they are lo relocating an old barn off of a property uh, it's a very large 10,600 square foot barn that they're going to reconstruct in the park on, on the edge of campus. Um, and we're going to do a restaurant concept in this barn. We don't know what it is yet. We're working on it, but it's a unique opportunity. Um, and uh, to partner with uh, Peru Research Foundation. Um, and uh, so we're, we're always looking for that kind of, that kind of uniqueness. Um, it'll be something spectacular enough that I think uh, uh, West Lafayette, Lafayette, and all the surrounding communities will want to come to this because it's going to be so unique. And I guess not a huge, you know, you're talking about a population of 120,000 people in those two communities, but probably another 100,000 people within a half hour drive time to come into town. Um, so, um, uh, but that, you know, you don't, can't plan for that, right? Somebody, somebody brings you the opportunity and you have a time timeline to get it done. Um, and so we, uh, we like that flexibility instead of saying, well, we, 
we said we're only doing two restaurants next year, so we can't take on that opportunity. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's a struggle because a little bit of a struggle just because um, some people want a more structured approach to it. Um, and uh, uh, I mentioned earlier that <laughs> I have some strengths and I have some weaknesses and structure is not one of my strengths. So it's more like I, I'd much rather buy, uh, be, have the flexibility to, to react into opportunities when they come up um, than the, to, to pass on them because we have a playbook that's been established that we have to follow. Yeah, that makes but within sense. reason, right? You can't you can't overwhelm your people, and you can't, you know, you got to set them up for success. And we always have that in mind as well. Well, I imagine you too. On the other side of that, too, you you also have to set some goals to keep moving forward, right? Because if you don't set some goals for growth, then you might get lazy and not grow at all, right? Right, and um, and I'm a big fan of momentum. I mean, we we've been riding this for ten years now. We may see a slowdown, um, you know. Uh, economy and habits of how people spend their money uh, is, is sort of a cycle, right? I've lived long enough to know that and seen a couple of those cycles. So, um, so we're, we're sensitive to that as well, but um, uh, we, we've had a steady um, somewhat aggressive growth now for 10 years. Um, and uh, I'm a big fan of that momentum. I don't want to give up on that and, and stall it. Um, and COVID was a, I mean, COVID was a huge hiccup in that area. Cause when we, when, March 16th of 20, when the shutdown occurred, um, we had six leases signed for new deals, uh, you know, going out 18 months. Um, and uh, what's remarkable for our team was that we got all those restaurants open. Uh, some of them were pushed back some, so much as far as a year, but, um, uh, and we had landlords, wonderful landlords that worked with us to get, to accomplish that. But we were able to get all six of those restaurants built and opened. Um, and it, it kind of, prepared us to um, come out of COVID as uh, a sort of, uh, instead of olymping, we were sort of running out of it uh, with new, new stuff. And, and I think our customers like were impressed with that. Like you, you guys opened restaurants during COVID, like who did that? Right. Right. But we, we had these deals and we wanted to honor them. And we, um, you know, I, I was um, fairly optimistic guy normally. So I was like, this can't be forever. Right. It's gonna, we're going to figure this out as a society and get through it. And we did, and we kept, you know, we kept 20 of our 33 locations at that time open for carryout and kept our workforce, all of our leadership team was stayed in place. So when we did come out of that, we were ready to, to, to open up and run instead of like, oh shit, we gotta, we gotta rehire management staff. You know, we gotta find new leaders because we let everybody go. So uh, looking back on that, um, it worked out really well for us. Um, scary time and, and it could have backfired, but, um, and I know some other groups and restaurant operators took a different approach, but that was the one we chose to take. And, and um, I think it allowed the momentum wheel to continue to roll for us. Um, and so uh, we, we were going to keep that going and we'll, we'll be careful. I mean, we're not we're trying to always assess our risk when we take on new deals. Um, and um, but this is where we are today. And I think um, well, it'll be interesting to see where things go for all restaurant operators and owners um, looking in the, in the next two or three years. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to make sure we touch on sustainability because I know this is an important thing to CRG. Um, tell me about how you've worked sustainability into the group. How does that manifest? Well, um, we uh, had an opportunity in downtown Indianapolis to buy a greenhouse about seven years ago. Um, and we started growing 
um, some uh, produce uh, in the greenhouse. We uh, uh, two of our restaurants have live walls in them, so uh, Vita and Modita both have um, uh, you know substantial green hydroponic walls in the restaurant where the chefs can literally pull fresh herbs. Um, in Vita's case, we our salad our, our uh, course salad comes off of that wall, and the, those uh, those products are grown in the greenhouse and then brought over in towers hydroponic towers staged in the restaurant for a, a great look and vibe that they create. Um, and uh, we also uh, um, figured out over time that certain crops were not um, economically viable to grow. So we we grow a lot of microgreens. We probably for the whole city, uh, we distribute through Piazza. Um, and we also are starting, actually starting next month, we're going to start doing dinners in the, in the grow house for special events. So we can, we can um, host up to 32 people at a long table. And we put a, a small kitchen in the, in the greenhouse, a display kitchen. So we're going to create this uh, really unique garden dining experience. Um, so we can show off the greenhouse and we can show, but, you know, if we can grow these things for ourselves, um, we have also raised bed gardens in a couple of different locations where our chefs will tell our growers to grow uh, certain items. And, um, and uh, the, uh, you know, this is mostly uh, conducive to our higher end concepts. But um, so we're doing quite a bit of growing in the city, which I think is really cool. And I think it sends a really neat message to our customers that, you know, it doesn't get any more fresh than pulling uh, a fresh herb off a wall and, and garnishing a plate with it. So, um, so it's some, somewhat, um, a marketing tool, but it's also, uh, it's just a really got a really cool factor to it. Um, um, and, uh, it sends a great message and I think, uh, it, but it's, it's challenging, right? It's, we're not, we're not making money growing stuff. It's, it's difficult to make that profitable, right? but we're, um, we think it lends itself to what we're doing and it's part of the brand. And, as well. and part of as it. you grow, you plan to scale that piece of the business too. Um, I think you know we it, the, the greenhouse is seven thousand square feet. Uh, we're never going to add on to that. We don't have the room to add on it, so it's going to we're going to utilize it the best way we know how. And that's kind of why uh, we came up with this idea of doing events in the greenhouse. Uh, just carved out a, a part of the space to put a really nice table in and some and uh, some furniture in there. Um, um, and, uh, it's going to be fun to do that. Our first events, uh, October 18th that we're doing for our executive team and, and our spouses. And we're just going to do a dry run event there and, and have the chefs do it like a five course wine pairing kind of experience. Nice. Um, so, uh, we're looking forward to, uh, it's a vision that I, I, I had a really great experience in Austin, Texas, a few years ago where we dined in a, um, a garden. It was a, a just in the city that I, then of course I think they notified me at that time that that land was going to be sold because Austin became too expensive to have farming in the city, but it was a really neat experience. And so it's always been in the back of my head of how can we count, how can we do that in Indianapolis? And, you know, again, trying to do things that maybe our competition can't do. Uh, there's not another restaurant company in Indianapolis. I know that owns a greenhouse and can provide dining in a greenhouse. So, right. um, um, so we're, we're, we're just excited to do that kind of stuff. And I think our folks our people that work for us are, are, um, you know, excited to do things that are unique and different. Yeah. All right. So speaking of vision, my last question for you, Mike, um, you know, beyond growth projections, numbers, what is your vision for what you hope to accomplish with Cunningham restaurant group? When you, when it's all said and done, what do you think, what do you hope this group would have really impacted? What impact would it have had? What could it have accomplished? You know, uh, 
I think first and foremost, we, um, I mean, I take great pride in, in providing opportunities for people. Uh, we have chefs in these restaurants and general managers and managers that, um, make a living and take care of their families. Um, and, um, I've watched people grow in positions. I mean, our corporate chef, Carl Chambers, that runs their entire company on the culinary side, came to work for us as a sous chef um, 12 years ago. Um, and now he's um, he's got a big time job where he's got a lot of responsibility and he, he excels at it. So um, just that's one example of, of what, you know, what we've created in this company that can can provide opportunities for people to better their lives and take care of their families. So that's, that's probably always going to be at the top of the list. Um, and, you know, we've had a lot of fun on, along the way. So I'm, I'm, I'm one of the, the guys that um, can honestly say that I've, you know, I've really enjoyed what I've done the last 30, 40 years in this business. Um, and uh, I, I, I discovered it as a young guy of really liking what I did in the restaurant business, whether I was cooking at a steakhouse when I was 15 years old or 16 years old to what I'm doing today. I always liked going to work and I always liked the social side of it. I always liked executing a, a, a great plate of food and setting in a window, knowing that a guest was going to love that. Um, and so uh, that's the kind of satisfaction. I think anybody that succeeds in this business, you got to love what you're doing. Uh, if you don't love it, you probably need to move on and do something else because it's too hard to not love what you're doing in this business. So, um, so, you know, and then, you know, I'm, I'm 60 years old. I've been doing this a long time. Uh, I wish I had a good exit strategy. I don't, but I'm not ready to exit anyway. I've got three beautiful daughters and none of them want to do what I do. So, um, so uh, we'll, we're, 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 uh, you know, those conversations are being had, but uh, you know, I have, I have a good five or 10 years in me to, to do what I do. And then we'll, we'll start talking about how, what we've accomplished and what, what CRG looks like uh, beyond that. But um, I don't need to worry about that today. I need to, I think about it, but I don't need to worry about it today. If that makes any sense. That makes a lot of sense. Well, exciting to see what comes yeah. regardless. Mike Cunningham, the founder and CEO of Cunningham restaurant group. Thanks for your time today. I really appreciate That was my interview with Cunningham Restaurant Group founder, Mike Cunningham. So what should you learn from this interview? Here are my six takeaways. My first takeaway is that your first step toward growth is surrounding yourself with people who can help. Mike gave us the rundown on his career in restaurants. He has been working in restaurants since he was a kid, literally. Um, but, you know, when he got into running his own restaurants, he got to a point where he had six or seven locations and, and he just he needed help. You know, you don't really have a playbook for how to scale a uh, restaurant into a major multi-unit company. And, and that was exactly true of Mike. And he started by looking around, seeing who could come and help him. And as he said, he surrounded himself by, uh, surrounded himself with several men and women who could, um, take over certain parts of the business. He could delegate to who could support him as he built this thing into something bigger. And in the last 20 years, ever since that decision, uh, Cunningham Restaurant Group has grown into really a behemoth, a powerhouse, as I, I have said. Um, and that, that was key that adding those people to the business, uh, it really unlocked that potential. You know, you can run a group yourself if you want to, uh, but you're going to really hit a ceiling early on and discover that you don't know everything and you can't do everything. You need to bring in people into your group, into your company 
who can help you reach the, the potential that you think your company can get to. So maybe you're at that part uh, in your trajectory now at that point. Um, think about who could be the right person to run operations, run menu, uh, run franchising, if that's the direction you're going to go. You're going to need those people in your life surrounding you and your business. My second takeaway is that how much you like airplanes may determine your growth strategy. You know, I've heard this a lot over the last, I mean, ever since I've been covering this industry. Um, and, but it's, it's really become relevant in a few of my recent episodes. Uh, Jason Barry of Need Hospitality in particular was somebody who also referenced this. And I think it's worth saying, um, if you grow into markets that are far away, you will be living on airplanes. Um, some people like that. That's for somebody. That's not for everybody, though. For myself, for example, I, I fly a lot, but I don't want to live on an airplane. Um, I would prefer to stay in one place a lot of my time, of course, with, with a family. Um, so that's a, a part of what you have to decide. If you have a restaurant company that is locally based, is it within one market, one geography, uh, you're going to get to a point where you have to decide decide if that's enough for you. If it's not enough for you and you want to go nationwide or even international, just remember you will be on the road a lot. That will require flying to all of those different markets to ensure your business is running the way you want it to run. Like I said, for some people, that's okay and they can do that whatever stage of life they're in or just that's something they're okay with. If you are somebody who likes to be home with your family or just travel by car or you want to do day trips to your locations, then maybe growing far uh, flung uh, into other parts of the country is not for you. I say all this because Mike specifically said that the growth within Indiana, Ohio, and Kentucky is strategic. He's about three hours away from all of his restaurants, and it sure sounds like he wants to keep it that way. And the reason for that is he has quick and easy access, he and his team, to all of their locations so they can be there when something goes wrong, they can get to new store openings easily, and it's not too much wear and tear on him or his team that they have have to be away from home for a significant amount of time. It sounds sort of trivial, but it's important to remember how much you want to fly across the country all the time. That will be key to deciding what kind of growth you want. Um, because again, it's not for everybody. Your lifestyle is important. And so determine what your lifestyle is before you determine what kind of growth you want to enjoy. Uh, my third takeaway is that the joy of discovery shouldn't be underestimated in your marketing efforts. I shared my story of how I discovered Cunningham in this interview, uh, but I, I went to a brew burger bar not knowing anything about it or who owned it and got a bag with Cunningham Restaurant Group on it. And it led me to this aha moment, as Mike talked about, um, where I had to know more about this group. And sure enough, here it led to me meeting Mike and being able to talk to him about it. Um, but Mike said that's kind of strategic, right? So that aha moment, that little surprise and delight, as a lot of people talk about these days, um, that's good marketing because people say, oh, I liked this. I've never heard of this. This is a bigger group. I need to know more. They go look at what other restaurants are in the portfolio. You know, Mike says they've done some specific ad campaigns and marketing around Cunningham before, but it's these little touches, these little aha moments and these moments of discovery that can almost be more impactful than an ad would be because it's going to resonate a little bit more deeply with customers. Whatever that looks like with you, consider how you can make an aha moment, design these aha moments so that you pull your customers into your brand, into your group, and they want to know more. They want to check out other parts of the business and become ultimately loyal guests. 
My fourth takeaway, speaking of loyalty, is that simple loyalty programs are not dead. We've talked a lot about uh, apps, loyalty apps, and digital loyalty programs, and how much they're taking over, how great they are, of course, for you know being able to collect data, being able to drive customer loyalty, um, how accessible they are. Uh, but Mike pointed out, you know, don't um, discount the punch card system, even if it's not a physical punch card these days. Cunningham Restaurant Group has a program across its entire group. That is, if you spend $1,000 across the group, you get $100 uh, in a gift card. Very straightforward, as in, a, you know, buy 10, get the next one free, of course. Um, but but he pointed out, you know, you can do it via your phone number. You can do it with an app. You can track how much you are, um, you can track how much you've spent so that you would be encouraged to go back and say, oh, I only need $100 more till I get that $100 gift card. Um, you know, he leverages uh, technology to achieve this, but it's not complicated. It's very straightforward. Um, and he thinks, you know, loyalty programs maybe have gotten a little too complicated today. And I, I, I would, um, you know, tend to agree with him on this. Um, loyalty programs are super important and digital loyalty programs, of course, are, are particularly important because that's where guests are spending their time on their phones. But don't overthink it. If you build too complicated of a loyalty program, your guests aren't even going to use it. And sometimes all they want is free food. Figure out a way to give them free food first and foremost, and you can have a successful loyalty program. When you design some of these other things that pull them into the experience further, those can be good too. But again, you just you don't want to overcomplicate it. My fifth takeaway is that bedroom communities can often offer a more stable business than city centers. Uh, cities, urban centers, obviously great for certain kind of concepts, particularly the lunch day parts, uh, particularly for high volume restaurants. But as Cunningham Restaurant Group has discovered, um, sometimes you want to get into those bedroom communities, those suburbs, those areas where you have uh, people living and doing life. Um, you want to get in front of them in order to have what Mike says is not a roller coaster kind of business. You know, he described when you're in a city center, a downtown, you know, if you're by the convention center, uh, you're often uh, riding that roller coaster of, is there an event? Is there a convention, a conference, a game? What's going on in the city that, you know, drives that dinner business? Uh, and then other days, there's none of those things and it's crickets. Uh, he didn't want to have that roller coaster. And so he's chosen to, um, you know, put a lot of Cunningham's uh, restaurants into some of these bedroom communities. You know, one uh, suburb he mentioned specifically was the Indianapolis suburb of Westfield, um, how it's booming and how, you know, they haven't opened a restaurant there and they're trying to decide which of their concepts is, is best to go there. But that's a great example of how, you know, you should look at some of these towns. Uh, Brownsburg, Indiana was another one he mentioned where you're going to have people there all the time living and, and working often increasingly. And, you know, you're, you have an opportunity to embed the restaurant more deeply into the community than if you were in the downtown area. Uh, so, so I think it's uh, important to say, of course, you're going to have opportunities to grow in downtowns and that's great. You're going to have opportunities to grow in suburbs and even these smaller towns like Brownsburg. Um, but whether or not you want to ride the roller coaster, as Mike put it, that's when you decide whether or not it makes sense to open a restaurant in that particular location. My sixth and final takeaway is that your growth strategy should allow for some flexibility around unique opportunities. Uh, Mike and I talked about this idea of strategic growth for a group like Cunningham Restaurant Group. 42 locations across across 18 concepts 
Uh, and then one of those concepts, Brew Burger Bar, is a pretty large chain by now. So it seems like there's a lot of paths they could take as far as their growth. And, and Mike has said, or he said in this uh, conversation, you know, he wants to keep his flexibility, keep his options open. Because if you say, here is exactly how we're going to grow, we're going to open 10 restaurants a year, this is where we're going to grow them, this is how we're going to grow them, you're going to lose an opportunity to put your restaurant uh, into some unique places that can be more impactful. So one of the examples he used was West Lafayette, Indiana, where, of course, Purdue University is located. They have a restaurant that they're going to open that's a part of a very cool, unique development. And Mike pointed out that, you know, if they were hard charging, this is how we're going to grow and we're signing all these leases, they would miss some of these opportunities for these more unique locations. Uh, he made the point that, you know, he said he doesn't want to react to uh, or he rather he he wants to react to an opportunity as it arises rather than passing on something that, uh, you know, could ultimately have been a good fit. Um, you know, if you are really locked into your growth strategy um, and you want to hit certain growth numbers in terms of locations, you could pass by those kinds of opportunities that would be very impactful and influential for you. Um, so point being is that you want some flexibility. When you're growing your restaurant company, allow for some of that flexibility so you don't miss those opportunities that show up and uh, maybe a curveball, maybe completely different than anything you've ever done before, but could be very impactful for your brand. Those are all my takeaways for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember to subscribe to Takeaway wherever you listen to podcasts and leave your feedback. You can also email me at sam.okus at informa.com. Thanks again and talk to you next week.